If you haven't been here, impossible, impossible. And we've been looking throughout this entire uh, series at these miracles that Jesus has done. And we've talked about the fact that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, that there's 34 miracles, 34 miracles. And yet John, John chooses to highlight seven, seven miracles that he calls signs. And so what we're doing as a church as we've been kind of preparing our hearts for Easter Sunday is looking at each of these miracles and taking a look through chronologically through John at what John wants to tell us. In fact, at the end of the book of John, John tells us exactly why these signs are in his book. He has, he has it in John 20. It says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the ones that we see in the book of John, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So each and every one of these miracles in this entire series, in fact, has a purpose. As a purpose, first of all, that you would come to believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And I hope each and every week that you see that or that God can, is, is working on your heart so you would see that. And if you already believe that, that you're confirmed in your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. But not only that, but that you can have life in his name. We believe that if you believe in Jesus as the Son of God and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, that you will have eternal life. That all of us will have eternal life. But we also believe, I believe with all my heart, that that life doesn't start when we die. And Jesus didn't come just so we can go to heaven. He came also so that we could have life now. In John 10.10, he says we can have life, abundant life. And so we're looking at these miracles each and every week, and we're asking the question, how does this miracle, how does this sign point to how I can live life in his name now? And as we've been looking through all these miracles, we've had one guiding principle guide us throughout this entire series, which is this, we don't just seek miracles, we seek Jesus. And if we seek him with all that we are, I believe that he will do signs and wonders in our lives. He will do miraculous things in your heart, in your life, in your relationships as we seek him. And so we're looking at these seven signs, seven impossible miracles made possible because Jesus is the Son of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're about to look at another sign and another miracle. And Lord, I would just ask that as we have these brief moments together this morning, to look at your word, to look at what you want us to see, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have open hearts ready to be transformed. Lord, that you would use me as your vessel. Don't let anything I do get in the way of what you want to do here this morning, but I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this place anew, and that you would fall on the people gathered here fresh this morning, that we would see you clearly, that we would see you again as our Lord, as our Savior, as the Son of God. And that we would see that you have life. You have something that you want to share, that you want to do in our lives this morning. And Lord, I would ask, I would be so bold to ask that we would leave here changed because we were here today. That the power of your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts. That this wouldn't be an information session. This would be a time of the power of transformation from the word of God. And when we go to work tomorrow, when we go to school tomorrow, where we go wherever we ta- your take us tomorrow, And this week, that people would see a change in us. They would see a difference in us from what they see in the world. And we would have an opportunity to share about your son, Jesus. And we'd be able to tell the story, the old, old story of the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord. So, Lord, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Is anybody in the room today, if you don't want to say it, you don't have to, is anybody colorblind? Anybody colorblind? Do you ever know anybody colorblind? Yeah? I've never known anybody colorblind in my life, honestly. But, oh, colorblind? Yeah? And uh, you admitted it. That's, bless you, son. And uh, <laughs> I never knew anybody colorblind. Here's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing about colorblindness is, you know, you can be colorblind and almost, if, if no one's ever told you or if you've never actually had a conversation about it, you may not actually even know that you're colorblind. Like the way that you see the world is just the way you've always seen the world. And not only is there, and I, I didn't know this either until this week. Did you know there's more than one kind of colorblindness? Yeah, this is, this is news to me too. Apparently I've lived under a rock for my entire life. So, you know, that's okay. You can come on the journey with me. Um, there's, there's these different kinds of colorblindness. Now I was going to say the scientific name, but no matter how many times I practiced them, they were so bad that it was like an Old Testament name. So I just figured I'd skip that. Okay, but there's one kind of colorblindness where everything looks a little faded. It's just not as sharp in the color as, as others. There's colorblindness where everything looks a little green. And it's not called like Kermit the Frog blindness. It's something different. And, and then there's another one where it's, uh, everything has like green, pinkish tones in it. And that's another kind of color blindness. And then there's one, I can say this word, there's monochromatic color blindness where everything's just black and white or grayish tones. You know, there's all these different kinds of color blindness. But here's the thing. When you're color blind, you're not completely blind. You can still see. And in fact, like I said, unless somebody tells you, maybe, just maybe, you don't even notice the difference unless you have conversations with people, how your world's different than others. You kind of figure out a way to live despite that colorblindness. You figure out a way to navigate the world instead, instead of, you know, just living your life with this colorblindness. It's, it's something that is a, is, a, is a difference from other people, but it's not necessarily something that inhibits you. And so you just get used to it. But you know... They have these glasses now that you can put them on and they take away your color blindness. This isn't a commercial. Have you seen this? There's videos all over YouTube about it where you can put on these glasses and you can, you can see things as they truly are. I'm going to show you a video right now of one of these videos of somebody seeing color for the first time. Don't break it. Look at the hat. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> <laughs> Not pink, is it? 
Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? But here's the thing that I, I think is true as we are about to look at this miracle today. Even if we're not colorblind, I believe that each and every one of us has blind spots in our life. And just like colorblindness, just like colorblindness, it doesn't necessarily, our blind spots, I know my blind spots, places where I need to see better, they don't necessarily get in the way of me doing life. I can still see. I can still work through life each and every day. I kind of can navigate around them. I've gotten used to, uh, you know, hiding that part of me. I've, and, and unless somebody can, is with me and points it out, maybe I don't even really notice it. But in, inside of me, I know that there's a different way to see life in that area of my life, but it's still a blind spot. It's still something I need to work on. In many ways, I'm spiritually colorblind in some places. And what we're going to find out today, what I believe we're going to see this morning, is that Jesus wants to do something in every single place we're blind so that we can see. He wants each and every one of us to have, this morning through this message, an opportunity where we put on glasses and see how really life should be. And so we're going to look at the story of Jesus in yet another way, because he wants to reveal and restore every blind spot we have. But first, can I catch us up? Is that okay? Can I teach a little bit from the Bible this morning? Is that all right with you? Okay, so first of all, last week we, we were in a miracle in John chapter 6 where Jesus walked on the water. But there's a lot that happened before we get to our passage today in John 9. So I'm going to share that with you. First, John chapter 7, this is what happens. There's a festival, the Festival of Booths. Okay, it's one of the festivals that the Jewish people celebrated where everybody from all around Jerusalem would travel to Judea and they would go into Jerusalem and they would set up tents in the city of Jerusalem. And they would live there and they would have parties for the whole week and and they would have celebrations and they would remember during this festival the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the desert when they were, after leaving Egypt, after leaving slavery, and where they relied completely on God and on God's provision. And during that time, they would relive those things. And each and every day, they would have religious ceremonies. And one of the religious ceremonies was this. The priest would walk to the pool of Siloam that was a couple weeks ago where the, where the crippled man was healed at the pool. He would walk to the pool of Siloam and he would draw water. And he would draw water and then they would walk through the city of Jerusalem and they would sing the Hallel. One of the songs we sing that's, very, that's from that in the book of Psalms is, um, I just lost it. But they would sing the Hallel. Maybe it'll come back to me. We'll see. And as they were, and as they were, as they were walking down this, the, the street, they would sing this song, Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. That is one. I knew it would help. Thank you, Lord. And, and so they would, they would do that. And then they would get to the temple where the altar was. And the priest would pour the water out upon the altar. And he would recite Isaiah 12, 3, which says that we will drink from the water of your salvation. And they would do this to remember God's provision. They would do this to remember that while they were in the desert, that God actually gave them water from the rock to, to uh, drink. You remember that from, from your Sunday school classes? If not, read the book of Exodus. It's really good. And, and, and so they would, they would do that, but they would also remember. They would also remember during this time that God promised a fuller salvation. And they would look toward that day that a Messiah would come and that he would give them the water that they need to cleanse their spiritual thirst. And John chapter 7 tells us that on the last day, the last time they did this, that Jesus, in the middle of all of this, stands up 
And he says, to all who are thirsty, come and drink. And out of your heart, if you drink in me, will flow rivers of living water. Believe it or not, some people came to believe in him, and other people didn't like that very much. They didn't like it at all, and there was a little bit of arguments. Is this Jesus the Messiah, or is he just an imposter? And he ticked off a bunch of religious people in the city. And then next thing you know, they, the, John fast-forwards in John 8, he tells us about this woman. This woman, and this, this probably is what happened. Sorry to kind of ruin your PG reading of the Bible, but, you know, there's a bunch of people from all over the region coming to the city of Jerusalem, coming to have parties each and every night, a bunch of people that don't know each other, living in tents next to one another, and as we used to call it in youth group, a man and a woman teepee snuck and ended up in a teepee together that they shouldn't have, and they weren't married together, and they were caught, and so they drag this woman in front of Jesus. This is what most people think happened. They drag him in front of Jesus, and they say, okay, you think you're this special guy. You tell us what to do, because the law says, this is John chapter 8, the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you think we should do? And so Jesus kneels down and writes in the sand. I like to think that he's writing all the sins of everybody standing around there. We don't know what he's writing, but that's what I like. That's a different message for another week. But uh, he, he, and then he stands up and he says, you that's without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. One by one. I also like to think the older men go first. They know. The young men, they drop the stones, they leave. And he turns to the woman and he says, where's your condemners? And she says, they've all left. And he says, neither do I contend. You go and sin no more. And that really ticked off the religious people. You know what I mean? And then something happens where they start arguing with Jesus again. And in John chapter 8, Jesus says something else. Something, not only does he say that I will cleanse your spiritual thirst, John's, Jesus says something completely bombastic. I hope you know this. Jesus says to them this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in, walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus, whether we know it or not, you got to know this, he's once again pointing back to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Because during this big feast that this is the context of everything that's happening, they would light these giant torches that went all around the temple. And they would have these giant bowls and they would fill them with 120 logs every single night. And they would light them on fire. And the whole city of Jerusalem, we know, would be lit up. Remember, no electricity up to this point. No electricity. There's no Thomas Edison. So the entire city of Jerusalem would be lit up from these bowls of fire, these, they were, these torches that were all around the temple. And men would be doing these dances with torches and the flickering of flames all over the place. This is what would happen during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they remembered this because of what God did for the Israelites. Because he was the light. Remember as they were getting led out of Egypt, out of slavery, he was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke during the day. And not only that, but they saw Jesus, or they saw God as light. And light and God were in, in, uh, sorry, they were, they were connected all through the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, obviously, light was the source of life. In Genesis, what does God say? Let there be light. And then everything came after that. It was the source of light. It was the source of guidance. I mean, you can't really go anywhere if you can't see. There were psalmists that wrote, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path, right? Because God was guiding them everywhere they went. Light was protection because when there was darkness, you could get hurt. But God's protection, God's presence was saw in light. And so what Jesus was saying, whether you recognize it when you read this verse or not, what Jesus was saying to the first people that heard this, these religious people that he was ticking off during this entire temple, 
this entire, this entire uh, festival. He was saying, I am that light. I'm the light of the world. I am the one who provides protection. I am the one that provides life. I'm the one that provides everything you need. I am the one who gives you guidance. I am light. And in fact, if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. And guess what? They didn't like it. They didn't like it at all because Jesus was saying that unless you follow me, you will always walk in darkness. Unless you follow me, you will never have light. Jesus was saying, I am the sole way for you to experience salvation. And folks, you got to know this. For the Jewish people hearing this, this would have been so bombastic that they had to challenge it. Because it was, it was crazy for him to share this. So out of necessity, you see the rest of John chapter 8. They're challenging Jesus on this to the point where they pick up stones to stone him. A lot of people are going to get stoned in this. Not that kind. I know what you're thinking. With rocks. With rocks. A lot of people are going to get stoned in this chapter. Okay? You need to know this is all going on. This is what's leading up to this part. And so we get to John chapter 9. I invite you to turn there with me this morning. John chapter 9. Where Jesus is just about, just slipped away at the end of John chapter 8. After getting everybody uncomfortable with him saying things like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the spiritual, I'm the way that you can quench your spiritual thirst. He's just challenged for that, and he slips away to John chapter 9. And John tells us this. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. As he passed by, it's crazy for me to think that our Lord was fleeing, getting stoned, and he stops to do what he's about to do. That's a sermon in and of itself right there. And then he sees a man born blind from birth. Now, there's three blind men that get healed by Jesus, accounted in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But this is the only one where the person that was healed was born blind. And it's important for us to see something about this. And this is super exciting. I hope it is for you. With Jesus being the, healing a man that was born blind, he doesn't heal somebody just from blindness. He does something completely radical. You see, when you're six months old, something starts to happen with your vision. Your internal picture that your eye takes starts to send uh, messages from your eye to your brain so that you have a vision inside your brain of the things that you look at. So the very first mental picture that most babies remember when, they, when they're going through this process after six months is their mom. Sorry, dads, but it's just the way it is. Is their mom. So at six months, your, your baby could close their eyes and see what their mom looks like in their brain. Dads usually come around nine months, which isn't too bad, but it's not as good as moms. So moms, once again, you win. But anyway, so six months this happens. And so the man that, born, but the man that was born blind never would have had this. He never would have had these pictures in his brain. He would have had tons of words, all the words we did, but he never would have had those pictures because between his eye and his brain, there would have never developed what's called a synaptic pathway between his eye and his brain. This piece that develops outside the womb from six months until about three years of age that actually allows what you see to go back to your brain. In fact, if you were to take a patch and put it over a baby's eye, not saying anybody should do this, but patch over a baby's eye and leave it there for three years and remove it, even if the baby was born with a normal eye, they'll be blind in that eye forever. Okay? 
And so we need to see that when Jesus is about to do this miracle for a man that's born birth, he doesn't just heal a blind eye. He completely remaps the entire pathway, recreates from the, from the outside inside, from the eye to the brain, a new pathway for this man to see every single image that he knows the word for in his brain like that. That's just not a healer. That's a creator. Let's continue, though. That was for free. So the disciples asked him, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, this is a normal question for us. This seems a little rude. But in the, in the first century, they would have thought about the fact that, specifically in Exodus 34, it says that if you, complete a, if you commit a sin, that your parents or even your, grand, your, even your grandkids, your kids or your grandkids, could be, could be harmed because of the sin you committed. So this was kind of in Jewish thought, that God would hold retributive action to your family because of your sin. And there was also, we know this from rabbinic writing, rabbinic writing from the first century, that there was also this idea that you could sin in the womb, and it could be held against you in your life. Yeah, we don't have time to get into that this morning, but this was kind of a thought that was in their heads, and before we think that's kind of strange, remember, we often do the same thing, don't we? I mean, when we see people that are in sin, when we see people that have something wrong with them, sometimes we look for a reason or someone to blame. And let me be clear this morning, like, it's true, your sin can cause harm to you. The Bible's very clear about that. The wages of sin are death, is death. So, so your sin can cause harm. And some of the things that we've got ourselves into, some of the things that we've, we have in our lives, yeah, you know what? It's because of our sin. But guess what? Sometimes that's not the case. Because we live in a broken world. And the world is broken. And from the, from the time that Adam and Eve fell, we live in a broken world. And because we live in a broken world, broken things happen to us. And bad things happen to good people. And that is something that we live with each and every day. But it doesn't necessarily mean we brought it on ourselves. But the people, the disciples that are asking Jesus, who sinned that he was born blind? When life doesn't go according to plan, of course they're going to blame somebody. But Jesus has something to say to them. Jesus says, it's not that this man sinned or that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I don't believe, scholars disagree, I'm just a pastor, I don't believe that Jesus says that this man was born blind and lived his whole life blind to this point just so that God could give glory. But I believe this next place, has, this next verse helps us out. Jesus says to them, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is basically saying, you know, hello again, I'm the light, and it's day while I'm here. And I was sent here to do these works, to point people to God, to point people to the fact that I'm the Son of God, to point people to the fact that I'm the light of the world, to point people to the fact that in me is life. And so while I'm here, it is day, but I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die, and night is going to come. And in the meantime, when I'm doing the work of God, when I'm pointing people to me, we must do the works of God. And this man, the re, the, don't worry about how it happened, why it happened. This man's about to give God glory. And people are about to see that I am who I say I am and what I'm about to do. And then he says it. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am a, the light of the world. You see, the purpose for this miracle, the entire purpose for this miracle is for Jesus to prove to people that he truly is the light. 
He truly is the light. He is the purpose. It is the purpose for him doing it. He is the direction for every person that you will only find direction in him. Remember, God was the direction for the people. The people were led by the pillar of fire. And he says, I'm that direction. You need to follow me. He is the protection. He is the presence of God right there. In fact, he's the only source of life. And he wants to prove to everyone. He wants to prove to the Pharisees that wanted to stone him. He wants to prove to you this morning that he is the light. He is the life. And so he does this miracle. He is the one who can open up the eyes to see. He can take care of every blind spot in this room this morning. And so he does this miracle in the craziest way possible. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Folks, you can't make this up. (laughs) He makes spit mud. Like, let's not breeze over that, okay? That's gross. That's really, really gross. I mean, think about that. Like, imagine being the blind guy, right? Like, you hear Jesus having this conversation with his disciples, and all of a sudden, all you hear is... And then next thing you know, like, this cold, wet stuff is put on your face. Can you imagine that? Like, the blind guy's got to be like, what is going on here? I remember when uh, Jessica first told Lydia this story. It was so funny because Lydia comes running out of the room where Jessica and uh, Lydia, Lydia's my daughter, out of her bedroom. And Lydia's like, Daddy, Jesus makes mud with spit. He makes spit mud and he puts it on his face and then the guy washes it and he can see. And he like, she keeps telling me this over and over again because she just can't. This is a crazy miracle, right? But this is what Jesus does. But there's probably a reason for it. The first thing I think is that what Jesus wants to see is as he is the light of the world, he is the creator. And he's about to do a creative act. Remember the synaptic pathway I was talking about? And just like God formed man out of the dust of the earth, he forms this clay and places it on the man's eyes because he's doing a creative act. We know Jesus could heal this man just by saying a word, but he chooses it to do it this way. I also think, and I kind of like this, I think Jesus is being a little passive-aggressive here. And we like that in this area too, right? Can I get an amen? Because, because the, the Pharisees are mad at him already. And making mud was one of the 39 things that you could not do if, with, that were considered work on the Sabbath day. And we come to find out that this is the Sabbath. And so Jesus makes, I think intentionally, breaks the Sabbath by making mud on the Sabbath. But the other reason I think Jesus does this is because, remember, this is a blind man. This is a blind man he's about to heal. A blind man who didn't ask to be healed. A blind man that Jesus saw as he was walking by. And the blind man feels something go on his face. Hopefully he didn't know for real it was spit mud. But he feels that God is up to something. There is a physical thing happening to his face indicating that God is going to do something. And so he takes and anoints the man's eyes with mud and says to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So that he went and washed and came back seeing. See, Jesus sent this man to the pool, and John, I think, wants us to remember. Listen, remember back, you, you can go back and listen to it if you missed it. Remember how people thought that the pool had healing powers? John puts in, no, the one who sent him to the pool is the healer. But the man went, and the man had to take that step, that step of faith, 
that we've talked about over and over again. The man had to step out of the boat and get his feet wet with spit mud on his face. Jesus never said, go and you will be healed. Jesus, he never even asked Jesus for healing. He just got mud plastered on his face and was told to go and wash your face in this pool. And so he had to wade through all these people and walk all the way without being able to see to this pool and wash his face. And he could, I believe, he couldn't get back there fast enough because he could see. Now, what does this mean for you and me? I think we need to see that Jesus did this miracle. Remember I said this miracle was done so that we would come to believe, that everyone would come to believe that Jesus is the light of the world and that his light shining in your life will remove every single place where you're blind. And this morning, like we've done each and every week, we ask the question, how does this apply to my life? How does this follow into my life? I believe it's very simple. Without Jesus, we'll never see the blind spots that we have that we've just gotten used to. Without Jesus and and recognizing that he's the light of the world, the miracle that he did to point to us as the miracle of of that he is the light of the world. Without him, we'll never see him as the son of God. We'll never see him as the life that we need. Because remember, this is what it meant for God to be the light of the world. This is what it meant for Jesus to be the light of the world. It meant that he was the source of life. It means that he was the source of direction, that he would show us the way. Without light, Jesus would be the one who gave us protection because when there's darkness, the light breaks through the darkness and provides protection in that, those places. He's the one that provides us his presence. God's light is his presence. And every place that people, we read in our Old Testament and New Testament, when God breaks in, there is a light that almost can blind in his presence. My dog loves this time of year. It's a weird transition, I know. But my dog loves this time of year because the sun's starting to get warm. And so he just loves going outside and laying on the deck and feeling the heat of the sun. That's the light of God in our lives. If you want to feel his presence, you have to believe that he is the light of the world. And finally... He's the source of life. Nothing could live without the light. And folks, my guess is in this room, in a room this size, that if we were to think about those blind spots in our lives, those places where we've just gotten used to them, right? Kind of like color blindness. Like, we can, we can deal with them. We can, we can put up with them because they don't really get in the way all the time. Yes, sometimes they do. Sometimes my temper flares up and it causes me issues. Sometimes, sometimes my, my, my lustful heart flares up and I have temptation. Sometimes my, my lack of self-worth, seeing myself the way other people seeing me, rather than seeing myself and my identity rooted solely in Christ, sneaks up. And I start to see myself as something else. I start to let other people's words, other people's thoughts define who I am. And I start to think I'm a terrible mother, I'm a terrible father, I'm a terrible husband, I'm a terrible wife. Those things sneak up, but a lot of times we can just ignore them. We can kind of deal with them and just pass on. And we start to search, and other times, these blind spots that we have, we start to search other places for direction. We start to look at magazines and blogs and Facebook, and we search that as our way to define how we deal with these blind spots we have. Or we start to search for other places where we can have protection, and we start to have anxiety because we don't have enough protection and the world's dangerous, and rather than relying on the light, we live in anxiety day in and day out. Or maybe we we start to search for places where we can feel presence. And since we don't feel the presence of God because we're not pursuing him as the light of the world, of our world, we start to search for other people's presence. In fact, we put ourselves in the presence of people that are unhealthy because we just want to be loved. 
We just want to feel someone close, and we search the wrong ways to do that. Or maybe it's just rather than any of that, we start to search because of our blind spots for other places where we can feel life, where we can really truly live. Because, hey, you know, you only live once, YOLO. And so it's okay that I do this. It's okay that I grab for this. If we don't know Jesus as the light of life, our blind spots can be the places that kill us. And what Jesus says this morning to each and every one of you is that he is the one. He is the light. He's the one who can make you see. He can shine into the darkness and bring light. That's what he did in this story. But there was a response. Quickly, I will go through this. There was a response that people had, though. As the story goes on, there was these neighbors, right? And there was these neighbors that saw the blind man see, and they didn't believe that it was him. I mean, we're not talking like Clark Kent here, not even glasses. It's just he, you know, he couldn't see, and then he could see again. And they're like, is this the same guy? And they couldn't figure it out, so they take him in front of the Pharisees. The neighbors, in, in many ways, were in unbelief because they were able, unable to recognize the impossible. And here's the danger that each and, of, each and every one of us can have, not only with our blind spots, but this entire series, is we can listen to the preacher preach, and we can look at all these miracles, but we can fail to recognize that God wants to do something impossible. And because it doesn't fit into our prior ideas, we don't, we don't seek Jesus. We start to seek the other things in our life. We can be just like the neighbors. And then there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees get upset because Jesus broke the Sabbath. And they refuse to recognize the miracle. They refuse to recognize Jesus. They refuse to say he's the light of life because he, if he was really the light of life, if he really was God, he would never have broken one of our rules. I mean, didn't you know he made spit mud on the Sabbath? <gasps> right? And Jesus, and the, because the Pharisees refused to see beyond their own present experience. They had in their mind that when the Messiah came, he was going to do things this way. And Jesus wasn't doing things this way. They had in their, their mind that the Messiah was going to fit into this box. And so they refused to see the impossible. And folks, this is what we could do with all these impossible things. This is what we could do with Jesus. We can refuse to see him work in our lives. So refuse to have him shine into our blind spots and truly transform our lives in every place because we refuse to see beyond our present experience. And sometimes someone in here, you can put God in a box and you can say, you know what, I've been a Christian a long way, long time, and God only does things this way. This is how God moves. This is how God speaks. This is how my life is transformed by God. And we can be just like the Pharisees, and we can refuse to see him as the light of the world. Or we could be like the parents. You know, the Pharisees bring the parents in for a trial after this guy's healed. And they say, is this your son? And they're like, yeah, this is our son. And they say, well, how did he get healed? And you know what the parents said? Well, he's old enough to know. Why don't you ask him? And the reason is, is because the parents don't want to get in the middle of it because they already knew that if anybody said that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the light of the world, that he, they'd kick him out of the temple, that they wouldn't be able to go to the temple anymore. They wouldn't be considered good Jews anymore. And we could have this same response because the re parents refused to see Jesus as the light of the world because it would change or challenge their status quo. They, they realized that, you know what, if we would admit this man was the light of the world and that he could do the impossible things, life as we knew it would have to be different. And some of us are blind spots this morning. The reason why we refuse to let Jesus shine his light in those places is because we know that if he does that, it just may change and challenge our status quo. And you know what, even though we know that blind spot, with that blind spot, we can't see things perfectly 
we know that there's probably more colors than we're able to experience. The reality is that our broken blind spot sometimes is a lot safer than it is allowing Jesus to let us see life as it fully is. Because it's going to challenge our status quo. It's going to challenge where we are today. But Jesus is inviting each of us to actually respond the way the man did. The man was asked, how were you blind? Who, how were you made to see? How did this happen? He says, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. And they kicked him out of the temple, and they said, don't come back. And so Jesus goes and finds him. Verse 35, and Jesus says, after they had cast him out, and having found him, Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus says to the man and to all who read this, I believe, he says this, for it is judgment I came into this world that those who see, who do not see, may see, and those who see can become blind. In other words, Jesus is pointing out the fact that in this story, in this miracle where he's revealing himself as the light of the world, that every single person who should have been able to see it missed it. And the one person who was blind was the only one who saw him for who he is. Do you see Jesus as the light of the world? Do you seek him as the light of your world? Do you truly believe today that if you were to allow yourself to seek him with all your heart, because remember, we seek Jesus, not the miracle. If you seek him with all your heart, that he will shine his light in the places that need to be placed. Because this is what light does. This is what light does all through the scripture. It exposes our sins, and it shows us the places where we still have sin in our lives, and it exposes them, not so that we feel guilty, not that we feel condemned, but so that his light can bring that sin out, and that light can purify you, folks. Do you realize that some of you in this room today, me included, have blind spots in your life where even though you've given your life to Jesus, even though you live for him, there are still sins that you're willing to accept because because they're just part of who you are. They're part of who you are, and you've struggled with it a lot, and sometimes you think about it when it affects you, but really, you know what? I can live life and still keep that secret sin. And don't you know that if Jesus truly is the light of the world, and if you seek him as the light of the world, that he wants to make that spot go away. He wants to bring that sin out into the light and expose it, not because he wants you to feel guilty, but because he wants his purifying light to disperse that sin from your life forever because it's killing you. It's breaking your relationships with people. It's breaking your relationships with God, and he wants to do that. Sin, not only that, but light is the source of life. It heals. And God wants to take that, that, that pain that you've been carrying, that pain and that, that, that place where you're not holding forgiveness, for, you're holding unforgiveness for somebody, and he wants to take that, and he wants to heal that. And he wants you to expose it to his light of love so that when you choose to put it into his hands, you can truly experience healing and forgiveness Some of you, you have the blind spots in your life right now and they're so deep and they're so just part of who you are that you're refusing to allow Jesus to transform them and he wants you to know this morning that he wants you to see this morning if you would just see me as the light of the world, if you would just experience me as the light of the world, I have so much more for you. 
I have so much more to give you. I have so much more for you to see. I want you to be able to put on these glasses and truly see your life and this life the way that I've created it to be. But we've got these blind spots. We do. Don't sit there and don't think you do, because I know I do. Let me tell you about them. No, I'm just kidding. Just seeing if you're awake. We got these blind spots. And Jesus says through this miracle, he says, for everything and every place where you're blind, I as your Savior want to help you see where you can't see so that you will begin to see the way that I see. And he's asking you this morning, do you seek me? Do you seek me as the light of your world? Are you willing to surrender your life to me? To allow me to be the direction, the protection, the presence of God in your life, the source of your light. Maybe today, maybe today someone in this room right now as I've been speaking, you can feel him working. I don't, you don't have to think about where that blind spot is because you knew immediately as soon as I said it. For you, I believe this morning that it's God's and Jesus' grace putting a little spit mud on your eye. Letting you feel that, you know what? I'm at work. I'm at work right now in your heart. And I'm about to do something. I'm about to do something amazing. I'm about to create a new pathway between your eye and your brain. I'm about to transform and renew your mind so that you will begin to see things differently. Folks, don't, bro- don't brush that mud off your eye. It's not because of condemnation. It's because he wants to give you new life. Maybe it's a little mud in your eye. If you're there this morning, I would just invite you to bow in prayer with me. Everybody, I just invite you to bow in prayer with me this morning. Listen. Without Jesus, we'll never see our blind spots. But if God wants to use you to do impossible things, he wants you to give those over to him. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're somebody this morning that knows that there's something in your life, you know, it's color blindness. It's not real blindness. It's just color blindness. It's, you can still see, you can still do life, but it's, a, it's not allowing you to see things the way that he sees them. If there's something in your life right now that you know that the light of the world wants to shine on, to heal, to release you from, to forgive you from, to help you forgive somebody else, to, to help you say once and for all, Lord, I don't want this sin plaguing me anymore. Just put up your hand. Just put up your hand and say, Lord, I don't want to have this blind spot. I see those hands. It's just a step of faith. It's just between you and the Lord. Just to say, you know what, Lord? I want to see life the way that you meant it to be. I want more of you. Shine your light. You can put your hands down. Praise God. Lord, I just pray for each person that put their hand up and for those that didn't this morning. I pray that you would help them experience your impossible made possible in their heart and life. That you would bring a transformation in their eyes. That you would carve new pathways in their brain so that they would begin to see life the way that you intended. Lord, give them the power 
to forgive, give them the power to turn from temptation, give them the power to release whatever it is to you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you're somebody who, you're not even colorblind, you're blind, you can't see it. You've never seen Jesus this way. But you believe this morning because this message, because of the messages you've heard over the past few weeks, that he truly is the son of God. And you would say to me this morning that, you know what, pastor, I realize that I need him in my life. I've never, I've never made that decision in my life before. But I know that I need him as Savior and Lord. I invite you just to put up your hand this morning to say, I give my life to him. Praise God. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the steps of faith that you're spurring us on in this place. We thank you for the people here that are willing to step out of the boat, get their feet wet. We're thankful for the people who are willing to say, you know what, Lord, I don't want a place of darkness in my life. I want to give you all of me, and I want your light to shine. Lord, continue to transform us into your image and likeness. Continue to use us to bring good news to the world. Continue to shine your light in every place. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory and the honor. Lord, we are so thankful that we as your people were once blind, but now we see. In Jesus' name, amen.